and welcome. This is the What If I Told You podcast, a show that is now officially one year old. Isn't that so precious? Yeah. We have a little baby podcast. Aww. We're just starting to walk around at this point. Yeah. Making a weird noises yeah. that are completely unintelligible. Mm-hmm. Yes. One year. We my, should celebrate. My. Well, I guess we celebrated with chili tonight. That's true. That's true. Dakota made chili. Mm-hmm. And... He basically cooked it all day. It was probably the best chili I've ever had. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. I know there's like a hot debate with chili in different like areas. Yeah. The bean or no bean for it's, the chili. It's not chili if there's no beans in it. I, I mean, let's break it down here because mm-hmm. I agree. How do you call it chili? Because if you take the beans out, what do you have? You just have ground, ground beef. beef. You have ground beef in tomato paste. Yeah, like ground beef soup. That sounds horrible. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. What's the point of this? There's also, like, my chili and Dakota's chili. It's thick. Mm-hmm. And then some people make, like, really, like, thin, soupy chili. Yeah. Mm, not a fan. I I like my chili to be thick as well. Yeah. I need it thick. Um, I'm still going to add cheese. Yeah, and cheese. crackers or Fritos or whatever. Yeah. It was a proper chili. Because how do you put soupy chili on a hot dog or in a tortilla for leftovers? You absolutely cannot. No. That just is seems very... Yeah. No. Because if you have soupy chili and you're going for a chili dog situation, it's just going to soak your bun and you're going to have soggy bread. There's nothing worse than soggy bread. That literally makes me want to throw up right now. Absolutely the worst. Thinking about soggy bread is just enough to fucking (laughs) ruin my day. It's so bad. (laughs) My day's ruined. (laughs) God damn it. Well, good thing we're towards the end. Well... Not much left to ruin. It's only 6.19 p.m. (laughs) Yes, but I go to bed at (laughs) 8. I do not. (laughs) Yeah, I texted Maddie at 5 when I got off work. You know, she eats dinner at 2.30 in the afternoon. (laughs) And she held out until I got here at 5.30 to eat dinner, and I was very proud. Yeah, uh, that's... I I get home from work at 4, and I immediately cook dinner yeah so you eat by five yeah i'm i am eating by five uh especially now that the majority of the time i'm cooking for just myself yeah so i def i usually eat by 4 30 but i also the entire time i've been in college i have gone to class directly after work and i've always they have the evening classes start at 5:30. Mm-hmm. So there's like a 5:30 class and then a 7 class. So I the goal is to get the 5:30 class. No right. brainer. Who wants to be beginning class at 7 p.m. when no you have one. to get up and work the next day? I don't want to begin anything at 7 p.m. Absolutely not. Not even a shower. Not even a movie. Even though I don't go to sleep until like midnight, mm-hmm. I'm not wanting to start anything at that time. Yeah, it's just too late. Yeah. So 
I would always have to eat before class because how am I going to sit through a two-hour class? Right. Or in some cases, if it was a once-a-week class, they're three hours from like 5.30 to 8.15. Damn, dude. So you have to eat right before class. So now Absolutely. I'm my body is conditioned to mm-hmm. do that. It's fine. I mean, you're going to be set when you're like 78. Absolutely. So it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. And yesterday I got up so early. Oh, my God. Here's the situation. I had to pick up Dakota from the airport yesterday. So I had to leave work because originally he was going to land at 345. Mm-hmm. I typically get off work at 330. Oh, Lauren's call me. I'll call her back. Um, usually I get off work at 3.30, but the airport's like 45 minutes from my work. Right. So I went in early so that I could leave early and not use any extra PTO because I have just a little bit left after Europe Mm -hmm. and I want to use that for the holidays. Right. So I just went in early. I got to, I usually go to work at 7, but I went in at 6.15 so that I could leave 45 minutes early and get to the airport. Well, Monday night, I had to spend my whole night working on my presentation, and so I didn't go to bed until like 11. Damn. And I had to get up at 5.30. Yeah, that's not good. I was a wreck all day. (laughs) I was fucked up. (laughs) I need my, if my sleep schedule changes, I'm fucked. So I don't know how the hell I'm going to deal with the time change. Oh yeah, that's coming up. (laughs) Because we leave here Friday at Mm 3.30 in the afternoon. And we fly to Chicago for our layover, but we fly out of Chicago at 5.30 p.m. It's a seven hour, seven and a half hour flight Mm -hmm. to London. So here time, we would get there about 1 a.m. Right. Their time, it's going to be 8 a.m. So I am missing like a whole night of sleep. (laughs) I'm stressed. You're going to have to, you guys are just going to have to nap till lunch, eat, take a couple hour nap, and then proceed with your schedule. Yeah. I think you should be more worried about coming back and adjusting that way. Let's see. Well. Because then it'll be way too fucking early to go to bed. Yeah, we get back here on the 31st at like 7.30. Mm-hmm. That's when we land. But you would feel like it's 2 or 3 a.m., right? Yes. Yeah. You're going to be so fucking tired. Yeah, I did take the next day off. Well, that's good. I guess you could just go to bed as soon as you get home and sleep as long as you possibly could. Yeah. 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 I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll fucking figure it out, I guess. You're going to have to. You're going to have to. The problem is I don't want to get there on Saturday and be so tired. Yeah. So Keep on the plane. Yeah, I'm going to take, like, a handful of melatonin. Yeah. And just try to sleep. It's a good plan. Like, 20 melatonin. Just get hammered. That would not make me sleep. Blackout drunk. <laughs> that would not be good. So <laughs> the people at work were like, how are you going to sleep on the plane? You know what you should do? Take some Ambien. 
I'm sorry, what? I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Who are you? I'm afraid of you now, and I am. A, I don't want to leave drinks unattended at my desk now. Who talks about ambient? <laughs> it, I was so shocked. Oh my God. <laughs> I have to take children's Motrin. What are you talking about? Ambient? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Coming in with a heavy hit. I would... I might actually pass away if I took Ambien. My heart would just slow to a stop. <laughs> oh, I can't laugh. That that was ridiculous. Fuck. Um, anyway. Anyways. Um, yeah, it's been one year since we've been doing this podcast thing. It's been um, a fucking journey. It's been great. Absolutely. There's not really been a single bump in the road. Yeah. No. I mean, there's been weeks where we're like, fuck... And then we have to figure something out, but... Yeah, those are very, like, minor, minor... Yeah. ...inconveniences. It's been chill the whole yeah. time. It's super chill. Uh, so... We're doing it. We're gonna keep doing it. Yeah. You know, unless Maddie is... Passes away from taking Ambien <laughs> on a plane. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, if any of Maddie's coworkers are listening to this, I'm going to need you to stay the fuck away from her <laughs> um, and never speak to her again. <laughs> so I don't, Ambien. I don't think we have a chips corner. I don't know. I don't know. We're so, the pro. Here's the thing: is we're pre-recording. Yeah. So I don't even know what episodes we really did. Did we just release La Llorona? Yeah. What the fuck, Chip? Yeah, he could have. He didn't give us anything on the oh. one we did before La Yorona either. Well, that was his. Oh, that was his. Yeah. Okay. Well, he could have had some follow up. <laughs> oh, well, he did. Oh. Um, Chip's follow up on his own episode was. I learned that from that episode that I talk too much and staying on track for me is like trying to stand a rope up. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, that's par for the course on this show. When yeah, do we I ever said, stay on task. I said it's a podcast. You're supposed to talk. So. Yeah, that's kind of the entire point of the medium. I feel like I should be on my 600 pound life right now. Oh my god! <laughs> the amount of chili that I ate. Oh my god! First of all, I should have pregame for this. I should have gone home and changed my clothes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, I should have changed my clothes before he ate as well. I'm in my home and I didn't do that. So, um, but anyways, uh, I do want to say that I love watching my 600 pound life. Um, it's very sad and yes. it makes me upset to watch, but I am a sucker for a success story. Okay. Like I was not thinking that's where you're going with it, but. I really am. I'm such a sucker for a success story. So when you go through the episode, it tells you like how much weight they've lost. And well, yeah. I just. That's it's great. It's such an upper for me. I don't know why. Yeah. I, um, that's kind of, well, no, never mind. That does not compare at all. Moving along. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess we could get into it <clears throat> since it's 6 30 oh, and yeah. um Truth. today we are actually doing part one of a part two episode 
in honor of our one year anniversary. And it's an episode I've been wanting to do for a hot minute. And it's such a, well, I mean, it's like a sad story, but it's such a good story. Mm -hmm. It felt like it needed to be told on a special occasion. Yeah. So we are going to be talking about the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Yes. It's one of my faves. It's uh, a true mystery. Yeah. Faves, Johnny Gosh, Maura Murray, Bryce Laspisa. Yeah, I think uh, I think Bryce Laspisa for sure. Mm-hmm. One of my hands down faves. Um, Tara Grinstead is a really good one. Mm, it is. Uh, there's a lot of intrigue in that one. Yeah. It's very difficult to say. I don't know. Bryce Laspisa, that one is like so crazy it will just continue to fuck me up every time yeah there's so much weird shit that happens in 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 those like few hours and a lot of questions of like why yeah this and why that if you haven't uh listened to anything about bryce laspisa you should listen to our episode on bryce laspisa yes it's like episode 15 or something like that something around there yeah uh I feel like we killed it. I mean, we did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love his story. It's so crazy. Um, but this this one is much is really crazy in a very different way from Bryce Laspisa. Yeah. Um, so there's not like a lot of weird variables with this. Yeah, there are almost none. <laughs> yeah, which is what makes it weird. Exactly. Exactly. And um, everyone's heard of this. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, if you haven't heard of Johnny Gosh, I'm really shocked. You're in the right place. You're in the right place because we're going to tell you all about it. Yeah. All right. So Johnny Gosh was born November 12th, 1969 in Des Moines, Iowa, and his parents were John and Noreen Gosh. And this might just be a personal opinion. I personally think his mom was a badass. Because she, like, really did a lot of shit after her son went missing. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll talk specifically about Noreen. Yeah. Um, but I think that she... And she's still out here, like, to this day. Yeah. And, well, and the only reason I say that now is because of a lot of topics and cases we talk about. We mention who their parents are and they really have nothing to do with the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't come up again. Um, but she comes up quite a bit. Yeah, she's she's heavily, heavily yes. involved here. Yes. So Johnny, at 12 years old, had his own little paper route. And on Sunday, September 5th, 1982, Johnny left his house in the pre-dawn hours to begin his usual paper route. And usually, Johnny would wake his father up to go with him, but that morning, all he took was the family dog. Her name was Gretchen, and she was a mini dachshund. She was wildly cute. Gretchen. Gretchen. Ugh. I, you know I am a sucker for a dog with a human name. Yeah. I love it. That's, I like Gretchen. And I love a dachshund. They're cute as fuck. I love, like, a long-haired dachshund. I do, too. I like the, like, not just, like, the brown or the black ones. What's, what am I thinking of? You're like, thinking the merle? Is that the what they're merle? called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I like those ones. Yeah, they're so cute. And a miniature dachshund. Oh. I think it's like pocket size. Fucking A. Oh. So cute. April would squish it. She, she would. <laughs> she might eat it, actually. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know what? You're looking tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that morning, um, it was reported that Johnny was seen at the paper drop picking up his newspapers, but this would be the last sighting of Johnny that can be substantiated. His parents, John and Noreen, began getting calls just before 5 a.m. from customers saying that they hadn't got their papers yet that morning. My question, first of all, is who in the hell is up before 5 a.m. waiting on the Sunday paper? On a Sunday. Yeah. Just up in the 4 a.m. hour. Like, (laughs) yo. Where the fuck is my paper? I need that goddamn paper. Well, I mean, maybe it's one of those things like their coffee was ready, but they can't drink their coffee until they have their paper. Right. And And, vice versa. And if it's the 4 o'clock hour. There's coffee. Bitch needs coffee. Yeah. 100%. Right. So Johnny's dad, John. (laughs) Went out to look for Johnny along his regular route and found his little paper wagon just two blocks away from their house. And it was still full of all the newspapers that he had picked up earlier. So, the Gosh family immediately called the police and tried to report him missing. And this is going to be a big shocker for everyone. Mm -hmm. Police didn't arrive to take their statement for 45 whole minutes. And the policy at that time prevented them from classifying Johnny as a missing person until a full 72 hours had elapsed. I don't know if you all realize three whole days to report a 12-year-old child missing. This this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever no sense at all it's disgusting and i feel like there is more like urgency put on a missing dog than people back in the day yeah he's 12 yeah i mean okay so we've we've done missing person cases on people who are over the age of 18 and I find it fully irritating whenever police say you can't report them missing for 48, 72 hours or whatever it is, even though they're an adult. Yeah. I still think if their loved ones who know them best are reporting them missing, are that worried about them that yeah. they're reporting them missing, just fucking look for them. Right. That's all that's, you need to do. That's that's all you need to do. Just fucking look for them. And that's an adult. A yeah. child and end the day without cell phones. Yeah, exactly. This is a child. This and is not even a teenager. His shit was there. Yeah. And Gretchen was with his wagon. Yeah. yeah it was literally just him gone. Yeah. Because if he would have, like... He, if he would have ran away, I feel like he would have taken the dog. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's what they said on the documentary. Yeah. Like, well, Gretchen was still with the wagon. If he would have ran away, she would have went with him. Yeah, she would have at least ran after him. Yeah. If he was 
physically walking away and running away. Exactly. I mean, I can't go anywhere in this house without April and Artie tailing me. Same, and I have cats. There, There is no way I could run away. <laughs> no, absolutely not. If April and Artie had the capability of following me, they 100% would. Yeah. Wherever it may be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't under... This is... That piece really, really... It, it did shock me. I know that we've had this exact conversation before, but it still shocked me. I was still like... What the fuck is happening? Yeah. So, obviously, the investigation did not get off to a good start. Nope. At first, the police really thought Johnny was a runaway. No. All right. Um, obviously, we've heard this before. Duh. Mm-hmm. In every single missing person case ever. Yeah. That's what the police always assume first. Uh, kids i mean i no the thing is is a 12 year old boy isn't gonna run away i mean and he was on his paper out with his dog he had every intention on returning home exactly nothing about this the scene that they stumbled upon says run away no if he was planning on leaving the house that morning and running away why would he go and get his papers yeah and he at the time, was old enough to probably, if he was going to run away, have taken some of his shit with him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When like, I, he would have packed a backpack. Exactly. If I was 12 years old and wanted to run away, I definitely would have put some shit in a backpack. My children bring everything they've ever loved with them, even if we're going to the store and back. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So... The kid wasn't running away. Right. Exactly. He wouldn't have taken the dog. He wouldn't have gone and picked up the newspapers and put them in his wagon. He would have just fucking left his house. Yeah. Exactly. Duh. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of the de facto answer that police like to land on. Yep. For whatever reason. I will never know. Um... Obviously, there's no way to know why they would even consider this a runaway. He was a minor, and not just a minor, he was fucking 12. Um, And even if he had run away, here's the thing. He's 12. He is... In danger. In danger. Yeah. Like, so what if he ran away? He's 12 years old. He's a minor child. His parents are trying to report him missing... Fucking look for him. Yeah. If he's running away, you can't just be like, all right, good luck, kid. Yeah. I I kind of, I see what the argument is for someone who is over the age of 18. Yeah. They're an adult. They're allowed to have, like, free will when it comes to that stuff. That's right. If I'm they, sorry, but my 12-year-old, which I don't even have yet, no. No. It, absolutely not. Uh, and if it's... If it's someone who's 16 or 17 and they have a history of running away, have done it multiple times, then I do understand. I still think the police should be out here fucking looking for them, mm-hmm. but I still get it. 12 years old? No. no. No excuse. Get your ass out there and look for them. Yes. So 
obviously the the main answer when we ask this question of why they don't just go and look is lack of resources. Um, You have eyes and vehicles. I reject this entirely. Yeah. If the police department is underfunded, uh, which it probably is, it's a government entity. Mm -hmm. We, you work for the government. I used to. You don't get paid (laughs) almost anything. But they will spend a shit ton of money outfitting SWAT teams to do drug busts. Yeah. Of millions of dollars to bust marijuana dealers. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, don't give a shit about the people out here selling weed. Right. We are, however, more concerned about 12-year-olds who just disappear on their paper route. That's right. Maybe reduce narcotics department and increase missing persons? I mean... Especially when they're kids? I mean, just sprinkle a few more officers on there. Just a couple. Just a few, guys. Shit. It's, it's crazy. Um, but a few years after this, Johnny's Law was actually signed into effect in Iowa, specifically in July of 1984, and it, in fact, requires law enforcement to treat any missing person case involving a minor as urgently missing and begin investigation immediately. Thank fuck. I feel like that should be able to go without saying. Yes. But clearly it can't. Mm-hmm. So hats off to you, Iowa, for making short order of that. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for making missing minor ch- children urgent. Yeah. <laughs> A priority. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Let's, can we, can we get that made of federal law, please? <laughs> the goshes. Saying their last name like that is uh, is weird. Uh, The Goshes also worked really closely with John Walsh, who is the host of America's Most Wanted. Every every one of you listening should know who John Walsh is. Right. They worked really closely with John Walsh to create the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So they're out They're out here doing legwork, especially, this is the 80s. This isn't like, <laughs> I could get on my computer right now and start a foundation. Right. They had to, like, do actual, like, true work for this yeah. to get it created. So, um, and John Walsh, his son was taken and murdered as well in the 80s. Yeah, at a store, right? At a store. Door and a mall, I think. Yeah, and because of that, that's why I don't know what what it's technically called, but w- there's so many instances where kids are separated from their parents at mm-hmm. stores. Mm-hmm. Why there are like actual action plans at every kind of store in that event. Yeah, um, I don't know what year his son was taken. I want to say. It was also early 80s. I, I'm pretty sure that is true. John, I don't remember his son's name either. But we're about to... Adam Walsh. Fuck, I knew that. Um, 81. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, so 
that those are like the two big child cases is Johnny Gosh and Adam Walsh. Yeah. So Ooh, that's a rough one. I freaking listened to an episode on Adam Walsh. A a podcast episode. Yeah. It's been a while. I haven't I haven't really been listening to podcasts. I've been listening to books recently, but it's been like two years or something. I listened to someone cover Adam Walsh, and I don't remember what show it was. We should do it. We should definitely do it. Um, it wasn't Crime Junkie because it was a really long episode. I don't know. I don't think it was my favorite murder either because I don't know. Fuck. Anyway, that's not important. So, finally, the authorities changed their stance and realized that Johnny was clearly kidnapped. But, of course, it was too late. By the time they reached the conclusion that he was kidnapped, there was basically no evidence, no suspects, no clear motive of why Johnny had been targeted. And it, I mean, this case was almost cold from the jump, pretty much. A few months after his disappearance, Noreen Gosh claimed that her son had been spotted in Oklahoma and that a woman had seen him being dragged off by two men and yelling for help. This anecdote was kind of just left there. There, There's no follow-up, no indication of if this lead was looked into, if they investigated it, or if this woman was interviewed by police. I'm going to go with probably not. Mm. So... Um, there's that, there's that. In 1985, Noreen Gosh received a letter from a man named Robert Herman Meyer II. Uh, he was 19 from Saginaw, Michigan. (sighs) Let's see. The letter had been signed Samuel Forbes, Dakota. And... (laughs) So Robert Meyer was acting as Dakota and stated that he was a guard at a motorcycle club when Gosh's son disappeared in September of 82. According to Meyer, when Gosh's son disappeared, as a, he, it was a part of a large child slavery ring operated by this motorcycle club. According to the FBI, Meyer requested from and received $11,000 from the Goshes. And then he had requested an additional $100,000 along with a promise to return their son. Mm, that seems a little red flaggy to me. Yeah. So... Meyer was arrested in Buffalo at the Canadian border by FBI agents and was later charged with fraud. The letter Meyer wrote had stated that Gosh's son was sold to a man whom Meyer identified as a high-level drug dealer residing in Mexico City. But despite the fraud charge, Noreen Gosh reportedly believed Meyer and later criticized the FBI, stating that the arrest warrant against Meyer destroyed 
her and her husband's credibility with anyone who would take the couple's offer to pay ransom for their son. That's kind of sad. It is sad. <laughs> and But true. I mean, she's right. No one else is going to... Yeah. I, it, as if someone's out here waiting for fucking ransom. But still. I mean, if I were in her shoes and something like that happened to me, I would be like... I I would just be, like, reaching so far and holding out so much hope. I wouldn't even give a fuck mm-hmm. about the money, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So I can understand why she would feel that way and also be pissed that what if he was telling the truth and yeah. now you fucked it all up? Yeah. You know. Maybe, yeah, because I think the FBI is obviously like, well, he doesn't have any information. He didn't know anything. He made this up to get money. Mm-hmm. And I bet she is thinking, like... He can know something and also want money. Right. Like, it. the two aren't mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Exactly. There were several different private investigators that have tried to help the Goshes find Johnny over the years. And a few notable investigators were Jim Rothstein, a retired New York City police detective, and Ted Gunderson, who is a retired Los Angeles FBI chief. So. That's that's some good shit. If anyone's going to find him. Yeah. It's, it's Jim and Ted. It's Jim and Ted. Although. Just a shot in the dark. They could have tried to hire Dog the Bounty Hunter. Listen. I've loved Dog the Bounty Hunter forever, okay? (laughs) I've literally never watched his show. You absolutely need to, okay? (laughs) I love trash TV. Um, After he gets, you know, his his guys, before he takes them to jail, he always gives them a cigarette. Mm. um, You know, lets them chill for a second. Yeah. You know, he's great. He would have been on that shit. Yeah. I do know that he... That his wife, that he was with for the whole time his show was on, died of cancer. Yes. And he was, like, her caretaker or whatever. I read some article about that situation because he joined the hunt for uh, the Gabby Petito guy. Mm -hmm. Whatever his fucking name is. Uh, I don't remember his name. Anyway, he's out here looking for this guy that everyone's fucking writing articles about. And everybody at work, whenever the article came up, like, Dog the Bounty Hunter looking for suspect in Gabby Petito case, Sam the Safety Guy was like, hey, did you hear that Dog the Bounty Hunter was looking for this guy? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, first of all, that's amazing. He's going to turn this into a show. Mm -hmm. And Sam was like... If Dog the Bounty Hunter can't find him, no one will. I mean, he might be on to something. <laughs> it's just so funny. But I feel I feel bad for the Petito family because at this point, this whole thing is a joke now. A little bit, yeah. Like, it. I, th- my first reaction to that information was to laugh. Yeah. Which is sad because this guy is a murderer in all likelihood. Right. But... I mean, 
you you can't add Dog the Bounty Hunter into the mix and not laugh about it. Well, yeah, it's Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> it's just, that's, that's w- what you do. But anyway, so in 1993, John and Noreen Gosh ended up getting divorced. Which is really unfortunate and sad, but I think... That happens a lot in these it types does. of cases. It's I think it's just too much. It's yeah, it's too much and And you would think like why don't they just stay together? What's the point? I mean, you you can't I don't think anyone could imagine how much that would change someone. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And also that spouse probably reminds you of your child. Yeah. Like, of course, everything is going to remind you of your child that's missing, but the person you created that child with? Absolutely. You know? I mean, I can see where it would just get increasingly difficult. Yeah. So it's not surprising, but it is incredibly sad. Um, And to date, Johnny has never been found, and his case remains open. That's the that's the whole story. Basically. Basically they found the wagon and Gretchen. Yeah. So so <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about some things revolving around Johnny's mom Noreen. And this is pretty wild. Mm. Um, This is a very big thing to me, and it stands out a lot. According to Noreen, on one morning in March of 1997, she was awakened around 2.30 in the morning by a knock on her apartment door. And she says, waiting outside of her door was her son, Johnny. And by now, he was 27 years old. And he was accompanied by another man, uh, unidentified, no idea who he was. And Noreen said she immediately recognized her son and said that he opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark that he had on his chest. And she said... We talked about an hour or an hour and a half. He was with another man, but I have no idea who the person was. Johnny would look over to the other person for approval to speak, and he didn't say where he was living or where he was going. I don't I don't know how to feel about that. I feel like why make that up? Or there really could have been someone fucking with her. Yeah. And she truly believed that that was her son. Yeah. Yeah, this one is really tough because my first reaction to this is why, I know that at this point he's 27 years old, but why let him leave? Right. Because I know she said that he was afraid for his life and blah, 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 but he is going to just be safer with her. If he showed up and he, there were people out here who were threatening his life, they could have gone to the police. They could have moved 
somewhere else, like, whatever. Right. Why let him leave? I know. And, you know, she was already divorced from John at this point. Why not tell John? Yeah. Because she didn't tell anyone. No one. So why not keep him there until his dad could come and see him as well? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, he also had older siblings. Yeah. So it just... I'm so confused about that. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. It it doesn't make sense to me. No. In a 2005 interview, Noreen said, The night that he came here, he was wearing jeans and a shirt and had a coat on because it was March. It was cold and his hair was long. It was shoulder length and it was straight and it was dyed black. And after this visit, she had the FBI create a picture, and she says it looked like Johnny. On September 1st, 2006, Noreen reported that she found photographs left at her front door, some of which she even posted on her website. And one color photo shows three boys bound and gagged. Now, I highly recommend everyone just Google image this photo. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's fucked up, but, or watch the documentary. Yeah, it's, these pictures are featured in the documentary. Yeah, Um, which is called Who Took Johnny? It's very good. She claims that a black and white photo appears to show 12-year-old Johnny with his mouth gagged, his hands and feet tied, and an apparent human brand on his shoulder. And a third photo shows a man who was possibly dead, who may have something tied around his neck. Noreen alleged that the man was one of the perpetrators who molested my son. Noreen later said that the first two photos had originated on a website featuring child pornography. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, on September 13th of 2006... An anonymous letter was mailed to the Des Moines police, and it said the following. Gentlemen, someone has played a reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. The photo in question is not one of her son, but of three boys in Tampa, Florida, from about 1979 or 1980, challenging each other to an escape contest. There was an investigation concerning that picture, made by the Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff's Office. No charges were filed and no wrongdoing was established. The lead detective on the case was named Zalva. This allegation should be easy enough to check out. <sighs> so Nelson Zalva, who worked for the Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff's Office in the 1970s, said the details of the letter were true and adds that he also investigated the black and white in 1978 or 79 before Johnny Gosh's disappearance. He said, quote, I interviewed the kids and they said there was no coercion or touching. I could never prove a crime, end quote. So <clears throat> when asked for proof of when asked for proof that this was indeed the same photo from the investigation nearly three decades prior, Salva could not actually provide any. According to the documentary, Who Took Johnny? Only three boys in the pictures were identified by law enforcement, 
but not the one thought to be Johnny. And Noreen Gosh still believes the pictures to be of her son. That one's tough. It is tough because I would 100% be able to tell you if I was looking at a photo of my child or not. Right. Either of my children. Yeah. Whether it was present day age or years ago age. Yeah. So, I don't know at this point if the mind just is so desperate for answers that it could be like, oh, that's, that's Johnny. Like, that's 100% Johnny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's very hard to say. The, the one aspect that really has, is kind of sticking with me is that there is apparently a brand on the shoulder of one of the boys in the picture. Yeah. And brands will come up later. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think that maybe the photo was legitimate. Yeah, I agree. So, ooh, I don't know. Okay, so our suspect pool for this case is basically dry. Yeah. Um, there actually aren't any specific suspects named in the case, but witnesses in the case claim that they saw Johnny talking to a man in a blue two-door car that morning in September 1982. Other witnesses stated that they saw a man walk out from between two houses in the neighborhood and begin following Johnny. There's a, there's a sketch out here mm-hmm. of a man, and uh, it's shown a lot in the documentary. Do I have to yell? <gasps> yeah, I'm getting there. That chili's setting in. Dude, for real. I, have to, I still have to do laundry. Um, I don't know. This sketch is kind of the only sketch that they've done, and I think it's supposed to be of the man from the car. Yeah. And I think the car that they said was a Ford Fairmont. Yeah, I think you're right. I know it was two Fs. So, and it was blue. That's, uh, that's all for suspects. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to switch gears for a little bit, but it comes full circle. Yes, it does. We are now going to talk about the disappearance of Eugene Martin. Now, Eugene was another 12-year-old paper boy from the south side of Des Moines. On August 12th, 1984, Eugene was on his paper route when he disappeared. Yeah. And I will say very little information about Eugene Martin's case, even less than Johnny Gosh's. Yeah. And it also seems like the investigation of Eugene's case is pretty much the same as Johnny's. Just a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, pretty much. Now, Noreen was convinced that there was a connection between Johnny and Eugene's disappearances, but authorities haven't ever found actual evidence of a connection. Noreen claims that she was... Now, this is wild. This one, this one was wild. Noreen claims that she was personally informed 
of Eugene's abduction a few months in advance by a private investigator who was searching for Johnny. And she was told the kidnapping, quote, would take place the second weekend in August of 1984, and it would be a paper boy from the south side of Des Moines. Did she make a call? I don't know. Obviously, we feel like if a PI had told her this information, that he had to have gotten it from an inside source. Yes. And if that's the case, how was he not able to get information on the person doing this? Right. Exactly. And if they knew that this was happening, why weren't they in the area at the time? Why wasn't there like a set up stakeout for this? Yeah. I mean, I never read anywhere that they informed police or anything. It's entirely possible that they did inform police and they didn't bother to listen to them. That's plausible. Well, yeah. Um, but I'm still not sure why they wouldn't, like, go to South Des Moines and drive the paper route. <laughs> I don't know. It seems so weird to me. I yeah, I'm not sure. It's very it's very outlandish to I don't know, to have information on a possible kidnapping and not do anything about it. Yeah. It's I mean, yeah, it's a, that's a little outlandish. Yeah. Seems pretty unbelievable. Uh yes, absolutely. <laughs> One might say. <laughs> okay. So, for theories... He was kidnapped. He was kidnapped. Uh, Obviously, the main theory is that he was kidnapped. Duh. He clearly was. This is not a theory at this point. We're going to go on record and say this is cold hard fact. Yeah. There's just... There's nothing else. He was snatched. End of story. Now, what happened to him after being kidnapped... This is up for debate. Right. Obviously, we have no way of knowing until he is found. But many people, including his mom, think that Johnny and Eugene Martin were kidnapped by a sex trafficking rink. And this is highly likely. We're not going to discuss this theory any farther, though, because, shocker, we're going to cover that in part two. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So next week... We will go into more detail about the uh, sex trafficking rink. So that'll be a jolly good time. (laughs) Oh, I did put the little like dun 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 there. Yeah. Made me think of SVU. Yeah. Instead, we went with jolly good time. Yeah. I don't know that that was the right move. It it happened though. It's uh, getting dark in here. All right. Um, also, uh, you know, fun fact, Johnny and Eugene were a few of the very first missing kids that are called the milk carton kids. And my mom and I were talking about this on my drive here. Cause obviously we were talking about Johnny gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, why don't they do that anymore? And I was like, you know, probably cause of Facebook and people don't get people don't. milk cartons anymore. Yeah. Um, But they are the first children to appear on milk cartons in an attempt to get tips and leads on finding them. Because everyone used to be out here drinking milk. 
Yeah. In 1984, Johnny's photograph appeared alongside a picture of Juanita Estevez on milk cartons across the nation, and they were the second and third abducted children to have their plights publicized in this way, and the first kid was Eaton Pats. Who was, I think, like four years old. I can't talk about four-year-olds. Oh, yeah, you have one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the most precious age ever. Yeah. They can talk, but they're still little. Yeah. So cute. So cute. Anyways, um, we usually have like a little final thoughts portion, but we really don't have any. Simply because uh, we're going to talk more about it next week. That's right. Um, so... This is awkward. This is. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, just come back next week. Maybe we'll have actual opinions on this. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's opinion is the same. This is the fucking worst. <laughs> this is literally the absolute worst. Yeah. If you do not share that opinion, don't listen to our show. Please don't. There you go. Um, Haley and Ariel, as always, it's been a fucking pleasure working with both of you. And we love you very much. Yes. And if we had an award to give you, we we would, in fact, give you awards. I think we should probably make some. Yeah, this is your anniversary, too. Yes. Oh, my God. We've been a group for a year. Oh, my God. How fucking cute. Also, follow us on Instagram and TikTok and rate our podcast on Apple Pods. Five stars, of course. Obviously. Write us a little review. Please. Um, really don't care what it says. Just do it. No. And, uh, you know, if you want to, like, tell your friends and shit like that. So. Yeah, that'd be real cool. But that's it for part one. That's it for part one. Come back for the rest. Yep. Um, and then in the meantime... Please continue to be kind. And stay weird. Okay, goodbye.